0: As Matt said, I'm the Advancement Director at Alpha Cruz's University College. We've existed for just over 75 years, which isn't a small thing. Uh, In this journey, we've grown to a university college of just under 4,000 students. And people often ask me, why why are we on this journey of becoming a university if we're seeing so many good things happen in terms of the, the higher education space? And I think there's two reasons. Um, I love the golden thread, where we've got Christian kindies, Christian primary schools, Christian secondary schools. And then suddenly when it comes to the higher education, the university space, it drops off. And, and I, I often ask myself the question, is that God's intent? <laughs> is that his desire? <laughs> and, and I know it isn't. But the reason why we're struggling with that in Australia is actually m- way more significant. If you look at the, um, the Western society, your United States, uh, London, or not London, um, England, most of your universities were actually pioneered as Christian endeavors to train leaders to influence the world. So, I'd like to name a few names, Harvard, yeah. Princeton, Yale, Oxford, Cambridge, interesting thing this year, Harvard reintroduced a spiritual formation course, going back to their roots, saying, we realize where we're coming from. But when you look at Australia, it was the only Western society that, in their higher education space, they had a hell-bent idea to keep Christianity out. The University of Sydney was the first university started in, in, in Australia, and they fought right up the, to the constitutional courts to keep Christianity out of their constitution. So we use terms like Australia as a secular country, and we don't really realize what we're saying. It's a country where darkness constantly wants to pervade and push into where light needs to shine. And one of the key things that we believe that God has called us to is to take the initiative in the next season and to push darkness back and to become a voice in the shaping of what Australia will become in the future. I don't think Australia will ever become a Christian nation. That's not what we're chasing. I believe that we'll see millions come to faith. Um, But there is something of having a Christian, evangelical, Pentecostal voice represented in the policy making and the shaping of everything happening in our country. And, and if you want to know anything more about that, come and chat to me. I'm not here to sail, um, I'm, I'm here to preach, and I'm really excited about that. But before I get there this morning, while we were worshiping, God showed me a very interesting picture for this church, um, all surrounded and connected to the, the picture of a snowball. You know, those little um, snowballs that it takes a long time and it's almost a, as if it's, it's getting ready to trigger now. It's not always exciting (laughs) when that happens because it leaves a mark. But I actually believe there's something in that space that God wants to sort of deposit into your next season. Where what has taken a long time to sort of get to that point, that verge of actually triggering so that the snowball would start rolling, has taken a long time. Um, And we hear stories of a church, a plant in a a living room. There's all kinds of stories, 15 years on the one side, other things happening, people being prepared in New Zealand. There's a great story developing. But I feel God saying, the snowball's going to tip. And as it starts rolling, there's something in the um, speed that'll pick up. And what took three, four years will suddenly take six months. And what took six months will study start taking two weeks. And I believe God's saying that just in the next season, he's going to speed things up because he wants to see this snowball impact this community in the very near future. So I just wanted to leave that there this morning, if that's good with you guys. I'm going to talk this morning about a topic that I love, and it's called the mind. Um, it's not because I'm in higher education, but because I'm so convinced that that we don't understand everything connected to our minds and how it actually um, facilitates the work God has for us in everything we are and everything we do. Aristotle came and he said, the energy of the mind is the essence of life. I love um, when Jesus comes in Matthew 11 when he says, are you tired, worn out, are you weary? Where do we feel most tired and worn out and burned out? It's not always in our bodies. It's in our our minds. There's something about the energy, energy to actually engage life that is triggered by the way that we think and deal with our minds. Wendell Holmes said, our mind, once stretched by a new idea, never regains its original dimensions. Wow. So why is the Word of God so important? Because each time we engage the Word of God, something happens and it stretches our mind, our imagination, our faith capacity to consider that God could do more than we ever asked or dreamed or imagined. The Word of God actually has that ability to expand Our minds. So, so thinking of this, and it's probably the most well known scripture when we talk about the mind is Romans 12, verse 2. There's something that you've got to understand before we get there is that Paul actually went through five transitions or four transitions before he got to this point. They call it the therefore transitions in the book of Romans. So if you don't understand all of those, you can so easily look at this part just thinking, this is a nice little mind tool verse. But it's way more than that. Paul actually builds on the brokenness of society, the fact that Jesus came, fixed the sin problem, started Introducing us to this new life, took any reference of condemnation, shame, and guilt away, introduced us to a life of glory in which we go from glory to glory to glory. There's so many things happening in this space. And then he starts in verse 1 by saying, therefore, brothers and sisters, that's the only two options that I sort of go for at the moment, um, sorry, um, it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of what? In view of God's great mercy. I've got a little pet hate. It's when people deal with Romans 12, and they don't introduce the importance of that. It, therefore, brothers and sisters, therefore is a transition. So he's actually elevating the conversation, and it's the last time that he elevates the conversation in the book of Romans. So this is, this is the pinnacle that he's actually getting to. It says, in view of God's great mercy. What was God's great mercy? It was God entering our brokenness, our failings, and our misery through Jesus. So he says, in view of God's great mercy, in view of the fact that God actually entered this broken world, this miserable world, this world that was stuck in failing, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. How do we do that? By entering other people's brokenness, miseries, and Failings. Do you know how the early church actually did things like that? They had a little cultural thing where it was really important to have a son, an heir. And if they had a firstborn that wasn't a son, you know what they did to the little girls? They threw them on the ash heaps to die. They chucked them away like garbage. You know what the early church did? They walked and picked those little girls up. Because they believed that every human being was made in the image and likeness of God. They entered those babies' brokenness, miseries, and failings, and they restored them. It wasn't just a nice little worship song, presenting myself as I sing a song. They got themselves stuck in the misery, in the failings. What does it look like in our society? Well, it could be that you become a homestay parent. And in that moment, you enter someone else's brokenness or misery or failings by just being present. And then he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. What does that actually mean? It's just don't go with the way the world does. But it's actually way more. The word conformed there is don't be reduced. Don't be uh, shrunk. To the image that the world wants to portray you as. said, but be transformed, which is a very different picture. The word transformed there literally means to renovate a house and to furnish a house. So the one picture is all about reducing and pushing something big into a very small space. The second image is about actually becoming open. And having the capacity to see the fullness of God experienced in our lives. He said, be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. Who struggles with their mind at times? Who struggles with their husband or wife's (laughs) mind? (laughs) I just want that Haley's phone number because I've got three girls that I just want to call Just say help with them. (laughs) So I want to just spend a bit of time this morning on the parable of the sower. Now there's a little line in the parable of the sower that I think sometimes we miss. It's where Jesus says, how can you understand anything that I've said if you don't understand this? Which sort of elevates the parable of the sower above a lot of other parables. How can you understand anything that I've said? If you don't understand, this. They refer to the parable of the sower as the mother of all parables. So it's, it's the chief parable in a sense. And we know the story that a sower went to sow. So there's two constants in the story. There's a sower and there's seed. And then there's four variables in the story. The different kinds of soil. So actually it's about the soil, not the sower. And it's in this picture where Jesus says that the sower goes and he sows the exact same seed that he sows on every part of or every um, expression of soil. And the first seed falls on what they call um, on on a road. Now to understand this, the plots of land that they had in Israel at that time, the plots of farming land, was actually small patches. And the plot that distinguished my farming land from your farming land was actually sort of divided by the space that we walk in between. So it was road. So who sows seeds on the road? So The story says that some seed fell. So it's important to understand what Jesus is saying there, that this road has become so trodden that the seed couldn't penetrate. So, it's it's very interesting because if it couldn't penetrate, the birds actually came and stole the seed. Now, when Jesus speaks about this, he speaks about the fact that the seed is the word wanting to penetrate our hearts or minds. Are we good with that? I mean, it's not really my card there, my ticker. It's penetrating my mind. So, Jesus is actually telling a parable in order to help us see that he wants us to realize that at times you could be in a place where the seed of God's word is sown. There's no lack of seed. There's a lack of soil, the preparation of the soil. Now, now it's interesting when we read these, these parables, there's actually three little transitions that's really important for us to make. The first one is we see a picture that sort of connects to society in that time. So you can understand in that time it was farming communities that everyone would have understood what Jesus was trying to say. But in the parable then, it transitions from a picture to a mirror where suddenly the story tries to help us show something in us. But people didn't like that. They actually tried to kill Jesus because of it because they didn't want to see that there was something wrong in them. They actually wanted to kill goats and lambs and those kind of stuff and just leave it there because this notion that God wants to do something in you was uncomfortable. And for them to hear that, hey, God's word isn't penetrating your life and the word has been stolen and your mind is actually so trafficked because of everything that you're allowing in that day, but even in our day, is a big thing. Just think about the stuff that's trafficking our mind at this moment. We've got access to any kind of TV show or movie that you want to see, past, present, and almost future. We've got little devices that we carry with us that traffics our mind constantly. When October 7 happened, suddenly there was an explosion of mind trafficking taking place. And by nature, my first response is, I hope Israel goes in and... Until, again... I read the word, I heard a pastor say, the only thing that we are asked to do is to pray for peace. Not to choose sides, not to say right, wrong. <laughs> That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's to pray for peace. Now, we all have opinions, and share your opinion, but if it doesn't end with praying for peace... <laughs> then you're not contributing in a kingdom way. You're not adding value in the way that Jesus actually wants us to add value. And actually what we're doing in those moments is we're reducing some ethnic group and we're elevating another. Does that sound like conforming to the pattern of this world? So there's this whole notion of it starts with a picture, it becomes a mirror, but then it transitions to a window, that parables were always meant to be a window where God can look in and release out of you. Because in his mind, he knows what happens when the word of God actually takes shape in people's lives. So when a person who is struggling with a traffic mind hears the word of God, guess what happens? Nothing. That the hearing of the word was actually all the benefit. Now, interesting, when Jesus starts, he actually, um, in in Mark 4, he says, look and listen. So there's two things that he says, and he actually ends the parable by saying, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Don't just allow the seed to just come in and sort of fall on the gravel, because it's going to disappear, and it's going to have no lasting effect. Can I just say, if a sermon had the ability to change the world... (laughs) It would have done so many times over. What actually changes the the world is a person listening and allowing the word, word to penetrate and to change the essence of who they are. The second one is seed falling on the gravel. Now, Soil in Israel has much more rock in them than earth. So if you want to sow seed in a patch of ground, you've actually got to prepare the soil. You've got to go through a meticulous process of actually removing all the rocks out of the the patch of land. Because what actually happens, if you sow seed into a patch of land that has rocks in, the seed actually germinates really quickly. But as soon as it germinates, the heat of the rocks burns the seeds and it kills it. Because it's, it's too hot. So again, you could see that there's quick initial fruit in terms of what happens when the seed is sown there. But it doesn't, last at all because there's so many things that is in the person's life that hasn't been dealt with and it's actually so so interesting because where the one speaks of a trafficked mind this one speaks of an undisciplined mind where you've allowed some of the experiences and negative things in the past to stay in your life so that when the word of God comes you have this but mentality I hear the word of God, but if you understand my situation. Because we live in a society where everyone's situation is completely different to anything this world has ever seen. Really? Really? That sin in its construct is a missing the mark issue. It's not just a doing things wrong, it's missing The intent that God had in mind. And some of us have allowed certain things to be carried in the soil of our hearts for so long. It's stuck in our mind that every time the word of God, and God's been speaking, and God's been sowing, and God's been triggering certain things to actually show you that there's a better way. But you carry these rocks and these pebbles and this muck inside of you. And it destroys the capacity of the Word of God to actually produce something in you. It's, I reckon, one of the most dangerous things to be in because you're in church every Sunday. But a part of that is you become inoculated to the Word of God. It doesn't have the ability. It shoots, it springs, shoots roots, but it dies immediately. And I actually think it's much worse The one actually doesn't penetrate, so it has no effect. But this one, you sort of feel the effect, and suddenly it's gone. An undisciplined life. question that I wrote down here is, have we allowed the gravel of the past to hijack our present or our future? Can I say that again? (laughs) Have we allowed the gravel of the past to hijack our present or our future because we haven't been disciplined enough To prepare the soil of our hearts. And if that is where we are, first thing, is who's paying the price for your lack of soil preparation at the moment? More often, it's not you. It's everyone around you. The second one is, who's on the receiving end of your superficial life? Because you don't want to take the time to say, God, it's time for us to deal with that. And there's weight in some of these moments. Some of these rocks actually carry with it trauma and pain and and, and some triggers that you didn't want to face. But there's a sense of God saying, let's do this. Let's get this done. Let's prepare the soil. Because what I have in mind for you is so much more than you clinging onto that. See, so one of the things in terms of um, <laughs> the way that we were made, they, call, they say that we have our own self-regulating mechanism inside of us. When we walk into buildings, the first, we, and it's really warm, what do we look for? The air conditioning. My wife looks for a little elastic band that she can put in her hair. I don't have any need for that. Um, <laughs> because what does the air conditioning do? It regulates the temperature back to comfort. That happens in our own lives. When things get hot, guess what we do? Anything to regulate it back to comfort. So here's the big thing that we need to ask. Being transformed by the renewing of your mind, is that a comfortable process? (laughs) So what are we actually choosing every time we're regulating back to comfort? Well, we're actually saying, God, I'll choose the pain of my past because I've learned to live with that in a comfortable way, instead of allowing you to produce freedom that will be difficult and uncomfortable, because with freedom comes responsibility. You know what comfort does? It blames. That if there's certain rocks and and soils and gravel in my life, and I've learned to live with them, I actually still have the ability to say, If people say, why are you still stuck? Oh, because of them. And we blame. So I love asking myself this question. Is God in the blaming game? So why are we? Just think about that for a moment. There's some... Some significant, painful, traumatic stories that I think it's important to confront and deal with. And there's a sense God is a God of justice and love. So all of those things are important. But the reality is, God wants us to be free. And with freedom comes responsibility. Responsibility says, I can't always own my past, but I can own my future. I can own the next season of my life. And because of what Jesus did, it had such a significant effect on humanity, I want to trust that that will have a significant effect on me, in that sense. The third one gets a bit complicated. So we've had the road that speaks of a traffic mind. We've had the weed or or the rocks that speaks of the lack of preparation and undisciplined mind. And then Jesus speaks about seed that actually falls on on a patch of land that has weeds in it. Now, this is interesting because what has happened to this point? Someone has actually prepared the soil. They've taken out all the rocks and the pebbles and everything. And um, it's actually a good patch of of land to sow things in. But the presence of weed, some people are getting really excited. Um, The Bible speaks of it. Not that kind of weed. Uh, (laughs) Stay away. Um, It'll help you see things, but I don't think they're true. Um, So stay away from them. The whole notion of the weeds that are still in the ground speaks of an undiscriminate mind. Where suddenly, in society, we become so conditioned to the world that what the world says as truth carries the same weight as what the Bible says is truth. So we don't discriminate anymore. The, the word undiscriminating actually means not having or showing good judgment or taste. I'm in the higher education space. One of the things in higher education is there needs to be data to support what we're saying. I think sometimes in the higher education world, we say that because there's data, data supporting some arguments, it's objective truth. Can I say that's the biggest lie in the world? All research has a subjective hypothesis that you can prove anything. And that's why there's processes of peer review um, Processes in place. But what happens if there's no Christian voice in the peer review processes? Everything starts leaning to one side. And at the moment in society, we've had the other side where everything leaned right. What we have now is everything is falling left. Now, this is not saying everything on the left side is bad. It's just saying if there's nothing to balance, then what happens? We present certain truths as objective truth. And society sort of says, well, if the media says says it, it has to be true. (laughs) Undiscriminate mind. And not all of them are actually going out trying to do something bad. We saw that with COVID. When COVID happened, (laughs) we had all the research done in two weeks saying that we've got to self-isolate and we've got to do this and we've got to do that. Now, Sunday, the real research is coming out saying... Maybe it wasn't that necessary. <laughs> um, now, we're not saying that, that they had a bad motive. We're just saying that in time, you can see the effect of what happens if you can't balance certain things with the actual reality. So I've got a lot of grace for people that had to make big decisions when a pandemic broke out. I'm not against that. I actually have a lot of grace for that. But in certain moments, people make decisions and they present things as truth, only to realize later that sorry (laughs) we're all good if we don't have a process to which we discriminate against what the world presents and what the bible presents we're going to start mixing truth and the reality of mixing truth is you start you start losing your flavor and your color and that's what jesus said we're the salt of the earth if you start losing your saltiness you actually have no contribution to make to the world anymore. There's, there's a side of you where we blend in so well that we don't have an actual presence anymore. You've got to ask yourself the question, did Jesus and the early disciples blend or did they shine? Because his life is the prototype that we need to attain to. There's something about being different. And I love the fact that being Normal is almost being different in this age. (laughs) I want to say that again. Being normal, just being okay with who you are, is becoming the new point of difference. We're embracing the fact that God made me me. And I'm not going to take all the tags that society wants to put on me. I'm just going to be comfortable with who I am and what I am. And I'm going to allow that to sort of speak into the world that God's given me. Because weeds have the ability, and that's what Jesus said, in times the weeds grow quicker than the seed. The problem with that is I see that in my own garden every season. <laughs> weeds grow, man. <laughs> there was one season where I wanted to get rid of the weeds, and I, for the first time ever I bought a thing called Roundup. And I walked with so much passion on my lawn, spraying this Roundup, because it's going to destroy all the weeds. You know what died? (laughs) My grass. And I went through winter with the most spectacular array of weeds everywhere, because those stuff didn't die. Um, Jesus actually has some insight that weeds will grow quicker than seeds, because it's there to drown out, to actually destroy the effect of the potency of the seed. And then he comes to the last one seed that falls on good soil. And Jesus actually doesn't describe the quality of the soil a lot. You know what he describes? The impact. Seeds that produced 30, 60, and 100 fold fruit. Impact. The fact that when the soil is ready and if the soil is prepared, the focus is not on us anymore. The focus is on the effect that we bring to the world and what we produce to the world. There's nothing that actually summarizes this picture better than every part of the first tree is so centered around us. That's what we're seeing in society at the moment, where we're the center point of every conversation, and how I feel, and what I think is the most important thing. And suddenly when Jesus comes to the good soil, he says, it's about the effect, and the impact, and the reach that that soil produces with the seed. Now, quick question, who wants to live a life of impact? (laughs) What should we look at? Ask yourself the question, what's Trafficking your mind? Where have you been undisciplined in dealing with the muck of the past? Or where have you allowed the truth and the relativism of today to affect your perception of reality? Allowing today's version of the truth to actually become the benchmark against God's revelation of the truth? That's the kind of questions that you've got to start asking yourself. Because as we move through life, our ability to deal with us has so much more of a significant effect in terms of who we become as we grow older. I'm at that point now, I'm approaching 50. And you know what I'm thinking about now more than anything? Yes, Clint, just deal with some of those things. Just get it done. Because I realize that my time is getting shorter. And I've still got big dreams. But there's no use in having big dreams if you can't deal with you. And allow God to deal with the soil in you. So I want to finish off. There's a lot more that I can say. But Paul comes and he talks about the mind. So that's Jesus on the mind. But then Paul comes, and he speaks on the mind. And he says, the mind is a war zone. Listen to these references in 2 Corinthians 10. And I don't have time to unpack the different applications of what he's using to actually build this case. But listen to what he says. He says, for though we live in the world, good statement, we're not in heaven, And church is also still in the world. So, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So this is good, because we love breaking strongholds in other people's lives. We're really good with that, aren't we? That Just give me the opportunity. I want to break some strongholds in your life. Come on. And, and, and there's the sense that if you just allow me the moment, I'll tell you exactly what you need to do. But what is he saying? We don't wage war as the world does. He says we're, we're actually sort of looking at it from a very different picture. He comes in verse 5. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension. Tension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive what? Now, can I take a thought captive in your mind? Just for a moment, just think of it. Can I take a thought captive in your mind? I mean, we, we, say, we say things like, I can see what you're thinking. No, you're actually just presupposing your ideas on that person. You want to tell them what you think... that. They should be thinking. So can you take a thought captive in someone else's mind? Where do you take thoughts captive? So where's the war? Not in someone else's mind. So where's the battlefield? In our own minds. He says we take. Now that's agency. That's empowerment there that you need to realize that in order to see this process of freedom take shape in your mind, you've got to be an active participant. That there's something in terms of you needing to partake in this battle and not trusting that a great worship session or a great sermon or a great prayer and all those things contribute to that. I've seen it. But in the long run, God wants you as a mature person. And as a mature person, you have to take agency to say, I will own the responsibility of this. God's done everything. He's made everything available. He's won the battle. He's he's done it. Now he needs you to take responsibility. Because the more you discover the freedom in you, the more you can proclaim it. Externally, and what we need is more ambassadors, more revelations of the sons and daughters of God that the world is looking at seeing there's a reference of freedom. So he says, We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive, we aren't. Captive. That's the beauty of the cross. We take captive, we aren't captive. There's a little verse that I want to put on the screen, and um, if the worship team wants to come up, this sort of speaks about, I think, um, the way so many people feel about the battle in their mind, this journey. Just listen to what Solomon says in Lamentations. It's Lamentations 3, verse 19 to 24. He says, I'll never forget the trouble, the utter lostness, the taste of ashes, the poison I've swallowed. Just the effect of life and experiences and everything that it had on him. He says, I remember it all. Oh, how well I remember. Don't know if you've seen that in your own life. How easy it is to remember the negative. Even if you don't try to. And he comes to you just saying, "Oh, I remember. Oh, how I remember this. It just keeps coming back and back and back. Then he says, It's a feeling of hitting rock bottom. That this experience actually keeps leading me in this downward spiral until there's that moment that I feel can't go any lower. He says, But there's one other thing I remember. And this is actually a habit of discipline. This doesn't just happen. Remember is calling things to mind. It's actually the process of taking thoughts captive. That when these negative thoughts, when my mind wants to take me back to the utter lostness, this poison, this ashes, he says, there's another thing that I remember. And he says, I keep a grip on hope. And listen to the beautiful way this ends. He says, God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. They were created new every morning. God, how great is your faithfulness. Because the negative experience in the past happened 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. But your mercy is on you every single day. He says, I'm sticking with God. And I'll say it over and over. He's all that I have left. I'd love to pray for you. In my preparation, I felt um, there's there's a few things that I want to mention. So maybe if you could just close your eyes for a moment. And there's a real sense this morning that that I believe God's going to grace us in certain people's lives. To give you the ability to fight this battle with renewed vigor and renewed strength. So, there's certain people struggling with strongholds in your mind. There's a part of that that you've got to remember you can't defeat what you can't define. Can I say that again? You can't defeat what you can't define. You've got to get to a point to say, God, it's this. This is the thing that's actually held me captive for so long, and I want to deal with that today. So maybe just take a moment and think of that. It presents in different ways. We've got extroverts, we've got introverts. We've got people that love to sort of live passionately and vicariously, and then we've got people who are very introverted and closed off, but the battle is real for everyone. And there's a part of this where I believe there's a grace this morning, but you can't defeat what you don't define. So think about the thing or things that have held you captive. There's people that's been struggling with strongholds in their life, in their relationships, in their work in their purity, in their finances, where you've actually had the sense where some of these struggles has presented itself in specific areas for so long. You've seen God do great things in certain areas of your life, but when it comes to this, it's as if there's never been victory in that area. And I just felt God say, it's captivity presenting itself in an area. And God wants to bring release in that. Then there's a third layer where you're here this morning, but the person that you trust in God for is not. And you could see that there's strongholds in their life. And you have no clue how to fight that because you can't take thoughts captive in their minds. But you can't trust God for a work in their lives. So if you're in one of these threes where there's other strongholds in your mind or certain strongholds in your life or you trusting God for strongholds to break of your family I want to ask you to stand this morning I want to pray for you, you maybe just for a moment not even using words just invite God into the space of your mind So God, I'm inviting you into this sacred space this morning. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that the biggest revelation in the whole of Scripture is not the fact that we come to meet you in a temple anymore, but that our lives, our bodies, our minds become the temple, the meeting place of God. That your presence is revealed not just out here, but in us. I thank you this morning, Lord, for your promise that says Christ in us is the hope of glory. That means that we're locating Jesus not anywhere outside of this roof or in any distant expression, called whatever it's called. But that Jesus and his presence and his spirit is located in us, in our hearts, and in our minds, Lord. So right now, Lord, by the power invested in the name of Jesus, the name above every name, the Holy One that's never been stained, nor blemished, nor broken in a way that it had an eternal effect on Him, through the name of Jesus, we pray that You would bring a release of captivity in the minds of people standing here this morning. I pray, Lord, for a release of captivity in their lives where this form of captivity is presented in some form uh, in their lives, either through finance or purity or relationships or or, or anxieties, whatever it is. Lord. And in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray for a special grace for people that should be in your kingdom, but have allowed the traffic of their minds and the undiscipline and the undiscrimination in terms of truth to pull them away from you. I pray for a deep work of transformation in people's minds so that they could prove what the good, the perfect, and the acceptable will of God is in the name of Jesus amen amen let's just stand as we just take a moment to sort of just linger with a close in worship song thanks